Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Thanks for joining us again on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States. Today we have for you Sylvia Aguirre, who is currently Vice President of Certificate Management and previously was General Manager and Chief Certificate Officer at Avalara, where she manages product direction of certificate management products. She co-founded Avalara Cert Capture and prior to that was co-founder and principal of Tax Technology Services LLC, where she was responsible for the operational efficiency of the organization and tax knowledge base. Sylvia has served as an auditor for the state of Texas in their San Antonio and New York offices. After her audit career, she served as tax manager for the national companies in the manufacturing, retail, and technology industries. Welcome, Sylvia. Hello. Hello, Simon. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure to have you here on our podcast today, and we're looking forward to hearing your story. Looking forward to sharing. So if you could go ahead and tell us uh, just a bit about your background, Sylvia, uh, where you're from, and if you'd like to add anything to your professional biography. Uh, yes, I will tell you that I am uh, from Mexico, so I'm Mexican. I actually uh, lived in the north of Mexico, which is actually very different from the south of Mexico. And when I was about three years old, uh, my family moved to the interior of Mexico, and there's different cultures. I'm sure this is true for many countries. But when I was about 15 years old, uh, my mother, my youngest sister, and myself uh, moved to the United States. And uh, after 15, I experienced the uh, being a Mexican, Hispanic in Texas and maneuvering my way through uh, high school initially. And then obviously a few um, educational careers and uh, going to college and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so that led me eventually to my bio that you just mentioned. Um, but in Mexico, when you're 15 years old, obviously, it's very difficult to change countries, no matter where you're coming from or where you're going. Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was different. But my family it stayed, you know, my mom and my dad stayed married. It's just that my dad could not immigrate. He was um, a, a lawyer in Mexico. And so he was an older gentleman and his career was there. Uh, but my mother, you know, um, was... Mexican as well, but as I mentioned earlier, we were, I was born in, in a little town called Reynosa, which is the border town between Mexico and the United States. 
And so you can imagine uh, the history that is in just those little towns when, when there's a river in between. Um, so there's a lot of history in my mother's side of the family uh, where they used to come over and pick fields. You know, my grandmother picked the fields uh, in the United States, but even, even going further back, you know, there's a lot of history before, you know, there was uh, a line between the two countries. Wow, quite a bit of a rich history. I can't imagine. Did your grandparents talk much about it? Well, interestingly enough, and it, it was my grandmother was a single mom as well. And in the 40s, it was very difficult, right? Because not only you come from the Mexican heritage at the time, uh, but she was basically shunned by her whole family. And so she struggled through and I did not have a grandfather and my mother was the only child. And so the environment I grew up with was very loving, but hardworking, right? It was very ingrained in my mom and myself that we have to study and we have to work really hard to get what we want. And so when I visited with my grandmother, um, she died. She died young. I must have been like ten years old when she uh, passed. But I remember how much love she had to give. But you could see in her face how much she has struggled through life. Uh, so it wasn't just one of those topics of conversation that you just brought up. You just kind of took the love. <laughs> I understand. So she passed away. My condolences when you were about ten. Correct. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. So interestingly, I worked in Mexico City for about two years back in 2008 to 2010. And I, I mean, I love that country, um, the humor, the excitement that's always in the ear when you drive down the street and you hear the music. I, I visited, you know, every town that was close by that I could visit, Metepec, <laughs> you name it, Guadalajara. I went to Ciudad Juarez for a short time there for a TDY and several other places that my work responsibilities took me as well. So beautiful country and memories of being there. Did you go to Cuernavaca? Of course I did. <laughs> I went That's to- where I grew in, up. <laughs> oh, wonderful. And also I remember going to, I forgot the name of the town where they have the museum of the dead, you know, where they've exhumed bodies and, and you can go in and actually see corpse. Of, you know, they have a corpse of a baby and different age yes. people yes. literally go through. Is it, um, can you remind me of the name? I do not recall that particular museum. I think that was closer to Guadalajara, you know. Right, right, right. Yes. It was far, but but if you went to Cuernavaca, you probably also went to Tasco, which is yeah. silver making. Yeah, it's very close to there. And there's, a, you know, there's a lot of archaeological sites and so much history, right? Oh my gosh. And, and my thing was, if the, the, the landscape was so massive, I was thinking to myself, boy, if Mexico hadn't lost those other states that are now part of the United States, can you imagine mm -hmm. what a huge country of land that would have been? Because there's still so much land that's on the Mexican side of today. Just amazing. And, um, you know, I wonder, I remember going to Tasco, of course, thank you for reminding me. I went to the cave over there. We bought silver. Mm -hmm. Um, I have so much uh, crafts and arts here from the marble that I went to. I went to buy the marble in the specific area mm -hmm. that specializes in marble and different art pieces that I was able to 
fine when I was there. Uh, leading into the next question, give us a sense for what life was like for you growing up in Mexico, like, you know, fun things that you remember doing or even, you know, keeping your heritage and going back and forth. What's the culture like? And, you know, I don't know if you have any connection to any part of the indigenous community. Perhaps there's a different language that may have been spoken. What was that like for you growing up? Yeah, I mean, I would love to share. I am so proud, by the way, even though I was 15 when I did transition to the United States. Um, but I'm very proud of my Mexican heritage. And as a matter of fact, my mom actually is back in Cuernavaca. So I still go quite often, you know, to visit. And I still have a very deep connection to the area. So my childhood in um, Cuernavaca, you know, was, was great. You know, we were a Catholic family, just like many other Mexican families. So I, my, I was kind of obligated to go to to Catholic school, like many of my, my friends, and I still have a close relationship for with kids that uh, we went to elementary school together there. Even though I left the country, I continuously went back to obviously to see my father and to spend summers. And we were just, like you mentioned, I don't know, we're the only ones, I'm sure we're not, but we were very lively, you know, family. My father insisted that we always ate together you know, for dinner. So that is actually something that uh, looking back, when you're young, you don't think, you know, how important it is. But when you look back and you realize, wow, that was probably the only moments kind of had together as a family, because both my mom and my dad worked. So my childhood, although I was very happy, it was also, I, I relied a lot on friends, you know, in uh, doing certain things away from my parents, because they were working all the time. And from a Mexican culture, it's kind of rare that the moms work. Um, so I remember being with my friends. Again, they're still very close to me and they all have children and we've, I've seen their lives, you know, pass by and, and my life, they've seen mine. And all I remember is how much fun we had at Christmas and the foods that we had to share and the dances and, and all of those little things that make us Mexican. Right, right. Oh beautiful place um i have a very fond memory so was there a story behind why your mom chose to move to this side of <laughs> of north <Yes>. america <laughs> as opposed to staying in um reynosa uh, well yeah so obviously my mom married my dad and they moved to mexico city to cuernavaca right when i was about three years old and i also commuted back to reynosa when I lived there to visit my grandmother uh, and, our, and, and some of the uh, uh, aunts that used to live together, they were all single ladies, as a matter of fact. So it was quite the experience to be with them, but very humble. And so there is a bit of a story. You know, what's interesting, I feel one of the few things I did learn about my grandmother and my mother, uh, the struggles that they, they had to go through, but my grandmother uh, like I mentioned, she used to cross over uh, and work on the fields. And one day, it, I've been told she got tuberculosis and they took away, you know, her documentation to go back and work, work again. And so she really enforced, you know, my mom to work really hard. And back in the 70s, I, there was an amnesty program. And so obviously my mom was able to prove that 
uh, we have relatives right in the United States. And she took advantage of that. And in 1980, she thought it would be a great opportunity for my youngest sister and myself to bring us into the United States, you know, to experience um, better opportunities as women and also uh, for education. Um, again, little did I know, you know, how difficult it was going to be to be moved to a completely different country when you're 15 years old. My sister had a better experience. She was five. Um, but it was difficult for her because she had to, in a sense, commute and see my dad in Mexico and coming to a, a country that she spoke very little English. Um, so it was very interesting for quite a few years. But that's really the reasoning behind that. And that was back in 1980. So also a difficult time for Mexico. So I would, I would suspect also it propelled her to say, you know, there's better opportunity for my daughters uh, if, I, if I make this drastic change. Right. Can you share a bit about what was going on back then at that time, 1980? I'm not, not versed on the history, just in case yes. they're wondering. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, I, I know very little of history. I was 15, like I mentioned, so I was not really involved in many things, but it was a huge devaluation, you know, in Mexico and everything was crumbling uh, around everybody that, that we knew that everybody was losing their money and their houses. And uh, it was just not a good time, you know, to, to uh, be part of Mexico. I remember thinking that if you wanted to own a house back then, you had to pay like 200% interest to even try to get somebody to give you money to buy a house. So it was almost impossible. So wow. the situation, yeah. So the situation for folks, you can imagine that you were, they were uh, poor and there's still a lot of poor people in Mexico, obviously. It was, it was drastic, right? It was more drastic at the time. Mm -hmm. Wow, mm -hmm. yes, I can imagine just economically quite stressful for everybody in the country. Exactly. Yes, um, very. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yes, I have heard about the amnesty back in that time. And luckily, your, your family was able to take advantage of that. So you came over, you know, go, your sister was five, you're a little bit older, you went off to school. What was life like for you making that adjustment? You mentioned having your dad on the other side and having to visit him and and all of that. What is it like? I, I don't think I would even be able to imagine commuting back and forth with you know to, with neighboring countries and you have life in two places as a child what was that like yes so it was very interesting I have to say I grew up pretty fast you know it was mm. one of the situations where um, I suspect not a lot of children are put in I mean I was I could tell you I was 15 but my mother couldn't speak English I was actually believe it or not, fortunate enough that my dad had taught me how to drive when I was 13 years old, because we used to drive from Mexico City all the way to Reynosa, which is like a 14 hour drive. And so he decided yeah. that it would be smart if I knew how to drive. And so literally when we moved to Texas, you know, we, um, we moved to McAllen, Texas, which is the other side of Reynosa really, you know? And so my mom, you know, kept, kept her very close to, to the Mexican border, but, 
I had to go get my American driver's license so I could drive my mom around so she could buy groceries and so I could take my sister to school. <laughs> and so I could like translate a lot of things that were happening for her because I knew more English than she did. And even though my English wasn't that great, I mean, throughout the years I had taken, you know, the, the normal classes that you would take in school to learn a foreign language and English was the one. It was very choppy, but I was able to get through it. So for me, personally, the experience uh, you know, was of a lot of work and a lot of effort to make sure that we survived uh, in the United States and make sure that everybody got what, what they needed to get to, to move ahead. Um, my sister's experience, she went right into kindergarten, so it was much better for her. And I made sure that she did not know that there were struggles, you know, anywhere, you know, that whatever was happening, it was okay. And I will talk to the, her teachers if I needed to, because my mom couldn't translate. And uh, it, I am sure this is the case for many immigrants still that come to this country that, that children have to take more responsibility uh, for their parents so they can get up to speed. Um, but going back to see my father, you know, it was, it was exciting because for us, it was a relief to be back to where we came from and see friends. And it was usually in the summer when there was no, no school. Yes, I, I can relate as well. When you're around that age as a teenager and you're the oldest, I'm, I'm the oldest for my, uh, mm -hmm. or, or my siblings too. And you, you kind of like, you know, you're interpreting things and translating things and um, even if it's in you know my parents speak English but it's a different culture coming from the Caribbean to the United States mm -hmm. and people operate differently here and so I guess you're the one that's out front trying to just make sense of what you need to make sense of in order to function right so yes. <laughs> I can imagine yes um, you had to um, I can relate to some of those experience and being an oldest an older child too so did you have a, an American dream at the time, you know, aside from, you know, your parents' dreams for your, for you and your sister, you know, what was your, what were your dreams at the time, hoping to probably, I don't know, go off to college and, and be in a particular industry, you know, what, what, what was going through your mind during that season? I guess so, you know, that part of my life, this is why I wanted to come talk to you. And I thought it would be so great to speak, you know, of what happened with me, because although there were struggles, and although I might have lost a bit of my childhood, right, moving at 15, like I said, for anybody, it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, I cannot imagine looking back, uh, you know, not have done what I did. And I am very proud of, of what happened uh, next. And everything I did, I carved for myself. Uh, and it's one of those things that I want to share because this is important that, that folks understand and people that immigrate that there's so much opportunity in this country if you just want it. Mm -hmm. And I remember I went right into high school, like I told you, I did what I had to do, you know, uh, to take care of my sister and my mom. My mother, she had a career. She was the secretary, and she actually said, you have to go to secretarial school after high school so you'll understand, 
you know, how things work in, in an office in other places. She really, really wanted me to, to, um, to make sure that I, if anything happened to her, that I was going to be able to survive. That was her mentality, right? I mean, she was born in the 1940s, and I think, you know, she really thought it was super important that if anything happened, I, I would know how to take care of myself. So imagine that going to high school and at night I was going to secretarial school, but I learned so much. I mean, in my English got so much better because I actually knew how to alphabetize files at the time. There was no computers, right? I was yeah. able to type a letter in a typewriter, things like that that you usually don't think when you're 15 years old. And so that actually helped a lot, you know, when I graduated and, and believe it or not, I graduated high school in three years. I skipped my junior year, went into senior and, I still knew my English wasn't that great. So I actually went into computer programming, uh, Simone. So that was back in 1983. And back then, computer programming was uh, technical school, really. I mean, it, I, I had no aspirations to going into college. Everything I, I paid myself. So I decided to go to technical school. I will commute from McAllen, Texas to Harlingen, in Texas. I found a few other students, about like two hours drive every day back and forth wow yeah and got myself a, a computer programming degree in two years and by 19 you know I got my first job and I was putting computers together that was my job you had to buy pieces of computers to put them together and I learned a lot of the equipment and and uh, other things besides programming and eventually landed a job in a um company that had a software that used to take care of pension plans and back in the 80s there was defined benefit plans which were around for many many years this is for 401ks ESOPs anything like that I was really in the cusp of managing the software and learning all these pension plan things and legislation and that's how I got a little bit of interest it's like my god there's all this other world I have no idea what's happening and so I was literally translating defined benefit plans into ESOPs or 401ks, terminology that is out there and nobody really realizes what's going on. And that also gave me the idea that I could go to college and I, I went to college at night. So I worked in the software company. I learned more English. I used to go to the secretary that worked for this company and I said, can I type your letters and I will type them. So I understood how the sentences will flow together in, in a business scenario. So I used to do a bit of her job so I could learn more. And um, then I went to college at nine and got my accounting degree. And that was the second chapter of my life. Um, in, uh, and meanwhile, my sister is graduating high school, you know, by the time and uh, I, she's still in high school, actually. And so I told her, you have everything in front of you. Where do you want to go? And so she applied to all these colleges that I never, you know, would have applied. And she got into Yale. Wow. So she got, yes, it's, it's an American dream. And she didn't struggle like I did. But I told her, you, whatever you want to do, you can absolutely do it. And so she got in. And she also went to the same high school I did, you know. Um, and so I helped to pay for her college. You know, she helped eventually herself and I helped her move. Um, meanwhile, I started my accounting career and eventually landed with the state of Texas, which is really where my bio that you were reading started. Um, nobody lands in Texas, by the way. 
nobody says I went, wakes up one day and says, oh my gosh, I really need to work in sales and use taxes. <laughs> 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 it just happened. You know? And here, and that was like 1994. So 94 to now, that's a long time of sales and use taxes, right? Um, but I started in 94 in San Antonio. I moved there and on a personal level. I had married uh, when I was 20 years old. Not only did I go to college, I was working, but I decided as a good Catholic lady that I was, the only way to get out of your house to get married. So I did that. Unfortunately, that didn't work 10 years later. So that's actually when I started working with the state of Texas, went to San Antonio. And um, from there, I just spoke up and said, why is nobody wanting to work in a New York office? And nine months, I was in a New York office. <laughs> they said, okay, you want to go to New York? I had never been to New York. I've never seen anything outside of McAllen, San Antonio, Texas, and Mexico. And there I was walking on Sixth Avenue uh, out of Grand Central because I said, well, if I'm moving to New York, I'll rent an apartment and my sister can live there while she's going to Yale. So I was literally in New Haven, Connecticut, which I've never been to, except for the time I took my sister. And I rented an apartment, got in the train at 5.45 a.m. in the morning, commuted all the way to New York City, you know, right in front of Radio City Music Hall. That was where our office was. And uh, walked my way over to that office and it started working from, from there, you know. So it was quite the experience to say the least. <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. I mean, can you imagine that at that young age, you had that much foresight and insight to go into computers back then when it was just kind of birthing. And then it just took your life in a, not, a completely different direction. And you were like the first generation. I mean, I guess you were first generation immigrant, but also first generation American, try, you know, unfolding this yeah. new life here and figuring out by yourself because nobody was by ahead myself. of you. Nobody. And, and, and you know what it, what, what it is, is it's not necessarily that I said, oh my God, computer programming is the most exciting thing in the world. If you ask me, what would I love to have done, right? I think I would have been a great architect. I think architecture would have been phenomenal, right? But that, you, you sometimes have to do what's best for everybody around you and yourself and, and it turned out to be the right decision. Right. I guess I can only speak from the perspective of being a female and the immigrant woman experience. A lot of times when you grow up in a communal setting or, you know, in, in cultures where family is very important, you know, as the female, you look out for your siblings, you look out for your mom, your parents, mm -hmm. and and other people in your family. And a lot of times that is what drive you to succeed. And I can imagine just that the fact that you wanted to make sure your mom was okay, knowing your grandmother's story, and then you mm -hmm. had your sister as well. So that really motivated you to make good decisions. It might've been challenging, but you know, that has been part of my story too, is what drove me to wanting to make my family proud and wanting to make decisions that would be helpful to other people coming behind me, you know? It, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I was just convinced that I had to make life easier for my sister, at least, <laughs> you know, and uh, it didn't matter what it took. It did not matter if, if I never been anywhere in, it just had to be done, you know, and I think that helps a lot. 
I also have to tell you, I've worked with the state of Texas for like two years and then I moved to a company that I became, um, I, I, I was working with the state of Texas, but I learned all the other state taxes when I moved to this company in New Jersey. Uh, but my, by that time, my sister is graduating and uh, I moved and stabilized myself in one place in New Jersey and worked for this manufacturing company. And I don't know what it is, but I work so hard, Simone. I was the first one in the office at 7 a.m. in the morning, and I was the last one out of there at 7 p.m. I, I had this thing about, and maybe it's a perception that people had about uh, Mexicans that they maybe don't work very hard. I was a female. I was learning everything I could, and I learned a, everything I could, everything. It's just, I was a sponge. And, and so I feel sometimes we put a lot of, that effort and it's not necessary right but in my mind it was it was necessary and I had to work twice as hard as everybody else right and an interesting comment as I'm unfolding this whole idea of the intersections of being for me a black female an immigrant female and then a female right so there's mm-hmm. there's a lot to handle there and you know there's this uh, conversation out there about you usually hear a lot of black folks say, you know, that they're told when they're growing up, you're going to have to work twice as hard to get to anywhere mm-hmm. in life because that's just, you know, the color of your skin. That's just the way things are set up. Mm-hmm. But I think that is also similar for immigrants as well, mm-hmm. because you come in, you have an accent. People think, okay, you don't belong here. You're, you're foreign. You're from another place. And so that psyche, you already know that you come in and you're going to have to put in an extra effort to get to where you need to go. I might even say you might even have to work harder than somebody who was born here just for the fact that you are considered alien or foreign to this land. And, um, you you know, a lot of immigrants, you see them just hustling, trying to make sure that they get things done for their families and putting in the work because it's almost expected. Yes, absolutely. And and again, I don't know why, but I think it's just... it happens even in older generations of immigrants, right? They work twice as hard. And I suspect it would probably be likely the same for future generations. But it's, it's interesting how your mind is set that way. It was hard for me not to accept that it was okay to work like everybody else. <laughs> Join us next time for part two of this episode. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.